Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Okay, we're in 2 Peter, and we started, uh, before my absence last week, we started uh, working on verse 4. Let's read that again. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And that's just the first part of a several verses where Peter's talking about various judgments that God has issued on various groups in the past. And he's trying to make the point that if God has judged the angels and as we will see other groups, then he's also going to judge the false teachers, which is what Peter's been dealing with in the first part of this chapter is the warning that even as there were false prophets prior to the coming of Christ, when God was leading his people through the prophets, then there arose false prophets to lead the people astray. And Peter's warning that certainly this will happen in the New Testament church as well. And he's warning about the judgment that will be incurred by those who do participate in misleading God's people. So he begins to enumerate the various judgments. We left off with Jude chapter 1. Let's pray and then we'll pick it up. Father, we ask you to bless this time in your word. Lord, speak to our hearts, feed our spirits, give us wisdom and guidance that we might continue to stay on the straight and narrow path following Christ until we see him face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we went over to Jude chapter 1 because Jude gives us a similar layout. Jude 1, 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. And again, we also read in the scriptures about the wolves and sheep's clothing. And the clear warning of scripture is that these people aren't going to come in with a big sign hanging around their neck, false prophet, false teacher, wolf. They're coming in unnoticed. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And again, this is not an if. It will happen. It's not it might happen or maybe it will happen. And of course, we've seen the fruit in many instances, both in your very obvious, blatant cult groups that we can think of, but even within the mainstream church. In fact, that's how many of these cult groups get started is someone coming up within the, the mainstream church and then going off with a deviant teaching. It's interesting, I didn't really know about this, but I found out not long ago that there's actually a movement that is uh, gaining momentum, not within the Mormon church, but within certain segments of the Protestant church, a polygamy movement. There was a youth pastor back east who was grooming several young women in this particular church, which shall remain nameless, although it's pastored by a good friend of mine. And unbeknownst to the pastor or, and most of the rest of the congregation, he was quietly, secretly grooming these young women and his own wife as well so that she would be participating in this and cooperating in this to have uh, multiple wives, if you will. Now, it's not legal so they would have, it wouldn't be a documented thing, but to have, and so th these kinds of things rise up within the church. 
Fortunately, that was caught in that situation and taken care of. But Peter warns about it. Jesus warned about it. All the New Testament writers warned about it. And so we should take it seriously. Okay, here we go. Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Why? Because God didn't like them? No. Because God knew in advance what they were going to do. There was a predetermined outcome because God is omniscient. He knows all. And He doesn't just know all within the time-space continuum. He knows all throughout eternity. He's the great I am, not the great I was or the great I will be, right? Ungodly men who turn the grace of our Lord into lewdness. And so we see in many of these false teacher groups, these cults, these misguided people who follow them, that sexual immorality and impurity is always a big part of it. Usually the cult leader has his way with all the women in the group. Lewdness. And again, but sadly, see, we, the, the lewdness is creeping into the mainstream church as we see more and more pastors rejecting the idea of repentance, confession of sin, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, becoming a new creature in Christ. We see more and more churches that are giving acquiescence to immorality, the lewdness that Jude talks about, and deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the only Lord God, and we see more and more within the church saying, well, we believe in Jesus, but we believe there are also other ways. So Jude predicted this accurately 2,000 years ago. But I want to remind you, says Jude, so just like Peter, we saw earlier, First Peter, a big part of Peter's teaching had to do with reminding the people of what they'd already been taught. Why do we need to be reminded? We forget. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes we intentionally forget things, don't we? I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode. We spent a lot of time on that last week. We'll spend some more time today. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So I pointed out last week, Peter and Jude both employ this same logic as it relates to false teachers. That if God so punishes angels, and not just angels, but these other groups, surely he will not spare these false teachers. Jude gives us three examples of God's judgment from the past. One, the unbelieving Israelites who wandered for 40 years in the wilderness only to die before entering the promised land. Two, same group of angels that Peter mentions. And we'll get back to that in a moment. And thirdly, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah who gauged, engaged in rampant or militant homosexuality. And as I pointed out last week, there's always been sin in the world. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, ever since Cain slew Abel, killed Abel, there's always been sin. We find sexual immorality in the Old Testament. But what set Sodom and Gomorrah apart, and by the way, 
Jesus said as it was in the days of Lot. He didn't just say as it was in the days of Noah. He also said as it was in the days of Lot. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. What set Sodom and Gomorrah apart and what is setting apart really the entire planet in these last days is militant homosexuality. Not in the closet, out of the closet. Not just what I do in private, but I'm going to promote it in public and I'm going to encourage everyone I can to pursue that same lifestyle. And I'm also going to attack anyone who doesn't support this lifestyle. That was the distinctive of Sodom and Gomorrah. Militant. They tried to rape two angels. Hello? That's militant. And that's what Jude is pointing out here. Jude 1.7 As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over. So in other words, the entire community to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I think we all know what strange flesh means. But for those who don't, I'll make sure you do. Now, I want you to know something. When I prepare a message, I don't sit there and think, okay, what will people like? What will make them feel good? What can I say that will not get me in trouble? None of those thoughts go through my mind when I prepare a message. Okay? What can I say that will cause people to want to stay here? Pastor Chuck Smith says, whatever you do to draw people in, that's what you have to do to keep them. So, basically, I'm going to tell you the truth, and if that's not enough to keep you, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> now, this subject is so untouchable, such a hot button. And I guarantee you, now maybe not with this church, but you get a, a get-together a room full of your average run-of-the-mill garden-variety Christian, I'm going to guarantee you at least 50% will be offended with the things that I'm about to talk about. And that's a real problem because it shouldn't be that way. But we've been so bombarded, getting ahead of myself, here, here's the elephant in the room. Both inside and outside the church, people from every walk of life are being mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically beaten into submission to support the new morality. Do you know that? It's also happening to our kids in the public schools. In spite of the very clear position that God takes on these matters. And there was a time, not that long ago, when it wasn't considered so inconsiderate, unfeeling, politically incorrect to talk about it. I want to read from Romans chapter 1. Again, one of the most distinctive judgments pulled out in the scriptures is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's one of a handful of the most significant and important judgments that God has poured out upon this planet in the course of human history. 
That ought to tell you something. Romans 1.22. And again, it's not about hating people, dissing people, condemning people. It's really about warning people. Galatians chapter 6 says, God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We can't think that as a church, as a society, as a nation, that we can sow seeds of murder, as in the case of abortion, sexual immorality, as in the case of homosexuality and all the other deviant practices that are being promoted today. Anybody who thinks we can sow these kinds of seeds and reap a good harvest is absolutely deceived. It cannot happen. It will not happen. Verse 22 of Romans 1, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And that's certainly the case today where people claim, oh, we're wiser today, we're smarter, we know better, we're more enlightened, we're not, you know, stuck in the past in traditionalism, legalism. We're, we're beyond all that now. We're postmodern. Well, a better description might be post-toasty. Postmodern. Verse 23, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Idolatry. PETA. The worship of animals. Greenpeace and these other ecological groups. The worship of the environment, animals and so forth. Exactly what Paul talked about. It's not a new thing. Again, it's been going on for a long time. But Paul gives us the rundown on what happens when people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, rock stars, movie stars, athletes. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Or as we commonly refer to it today, lesbianism. You see, I got a feeling, even, even I'm uncomfortable talking about this. I shouldn't be. But again, we've been so hammered, so bombarded. Oh, that's insensitive. That's uncaring. That's unfeeling. But if something from the Word of God makes us uncomfortable, that's not His problem. That's our problem. And again, if we don't talk about it, and if it's in the Bible, we should talk about it. Many churches, maybe most, will not talk about it. They're afraid of offending people. They're afraid of turning people off. They're afraid of getting a reputation as a homophobic church. But again, our kids are being bombarded with this stuff every day. And really, you think we should just shut up and say nothing? There was a time when if you were the parent of you know, teenagers, young people, 
you were concerned that they might possibly get physical with someone of the opposite sex. Now people actually thank God when they do. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm being slightly facetious because obviously we would prefer our kids remain celibate. But now the greatest fear isn't that your daughter's going to get pregnant. It's that she's going to run off with another woman. What a crazy mixed up world we're living in. And again, it's dangerous to talk about this. It shouldn't be. And another thing is, it shouldn't even require this level of discussion. It should be something that as we're studying the scriptures, we come across it and we just read through it because everybody already knows and understands that these things are wrong. But that's not the case today. That's not the case today. We have to talk about it because God talks about it. We have to talk about it because nobody else will. And we have to talk about it because if we don't, it's going to be the destruction of the world as we know it. Now we know that's going to happen anyway. It's called the tribulation. It's called the second coming of Christ. It's called the wrath of God. But are we just supposed to sit back and fiddle while Rome burns? I don't think so. If it wasn't important, God would not have put it in his word. And therefore, the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to talk about this. And again, I didn't think about how much damage it might do. Because I thought about how much damage it would do if I didn't. Verse 27. In the same way, men also abandon natural relations with women who are inflamed with lust for one another. They abandon natural relations with women. So the Bible tells us it's normal and natural for a man to have relations with a woman, a woman to have relations with a man. God created Eve, brought her to Adam. He married them. They became the first couple, as has been said by Ken Ham and others. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right? A few people like that. Men committed indecent acts with... See, these are words nobody will use today. Natural, unnatural. Well, who's to say what's natural and unnatural? Well, God. He created all things. Oh, who's to say what's decent and indecent? God. And those who stand with God and stand for God stand upon the truth of His Word. But see, when we stopped using these kind of words... It made more and more people comfortable with doing that which was unnatural, with doing that which was indecent, because those words, words have meaning. And they're intended to induce a response. When somebody accuses you of doing something indecent, if in fact that is true, you should be embarrassed, you should be ashamed, you should be humiliated, but we're not allowed to do that anymore. But there's a funny thing about being humiliated. It causes you not to want to do that again. But it's really... Okay. I'm moving right along. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their... Uh-oh, there's another word we're not supposed to use. Perversion. Received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. 
Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, see, you can't do these things and retain the knowledge of God. You have to choose. If you're going to retain the knowledge of God, then that knowledge is going to tell you you shouldn't do that. It's not natural. It's not decent. It's perverted. And I'm not one of these guys. I don't remember the name of this church. It's somewhere in the Midwest. They're the, one, the radical, I think it's a Baptist group, some offshoot. And they go to the, these protests and they hold up signs that says God hates fags. You know the group I'm talking about? That's not what I'm talking about here. God doesn't hate people who are called by that term, that derogatory term. Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. But Jesus didn't die on the cross for you so that you could go ahead and just do whatever you want to do. He died on the cross for you so that you could do the right thing, so that you could live in righteousness and holiness before God. And he would give you the strength and the ability to do it. That's where the message of the gospel is getting diluted and polluted and perverted today in many churches, giving people the impression you don't have to change anything in order to be a Christian. You can go on doing whatever you're doing. You can go on being whatever you want to be. You can even identify as something than what you really are. See, if, you don't, if, if you're going to get offended by this scripture, how are you going to follow God? You either take it all or you take none of it. And if you're going to let people's opinions and what they think of you affect what you want to believe and not believe or what you want to adhere to and not adhere to, then you might as well just go back into the world, to be perfectly honest. Because... You know, God's a loving God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But I'm going to tell you right now, in the kingdom of God, it's God's way or the highway. Get it? I'm sick and tired of everybody beating around the bush, being weak and wimpy, and mamby-pamby about the truth of God's Word. We don't have to shove it down people's throats, but sadly, it's like we have to shove it down the throats of the Christians because they don't even get it. Give me a break. He gave them over to a depraved mind. You see, God's not going to force you to do the right thing, folks. Some people get confused with that. Well, if God didn't want me to do it, then why didn't He stop me? Well, he gave you a brain, he gave you common sense, he gave you a conscience, he gave you his word, and if all of that isn't enough, then God's going to say, go ahead, knock yourself out, literally. Why didn't he stop me? If he didn't want me to commit adultery with that person, why didn't he stop? Oh, give me a break. That's ridiculous. People say stuff like that. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. But what do we have today? We have, I don't know how many of you heard about this, but I think in California, they started having these storybook hours with transgendered people for kindergartners. They're bringing in these trannies all gussied up and having them do story time with kindergartners. 
That makes my blood boil. That is sick. It's perverted. But wait. They're doing what ought not to be done. God's given them over to a depraved mind. But the problem is, there is a collective depraved mind hovering over this nation. And it's spreading all around the world. The Bible says, Proverbs 9.10, there are many scriptures and psalms and proverbs that repeat this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning. People who think they're wise, they became fools, it says in Romans 1.22. Thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools. Why? Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you don't fear God, you will never be wise. You will never be smart. In true smartness. But if we're too afraid of men to stand up for the truth of God's word, again, I know uh, one person that left the church a while back and they did it because they, they were really upset that when someone would get up and walk out in the middle of my message, that really upset them, that really hurt them. Instead of blaming the person for being offended, they blame me. If that's where, how we're going to have church, then I'm not going to participate. If I can't stand up here and tell you the truth without you getting mad and walking out, well, if enough of you walk out, we just won't do it anymore, okay? But I'm not going to stop. Now, it's a sad thing. It is a sad thing when the people in our society have become so preconditioned to being lied to and not hearing the truth that when they come in here, they can't handle it. That's a sad thing. But am I supposed to lower myself down to that level? I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. Again, if there's nobody left to listen, fine. I'll go fishing. <laughs> and I'll take Chris Rivera because he's a good fisherman and I'm not. Or Roland. Or There's a number of good fishermen here. I'm not amongst them. Right now I'm fishing for men. If we're too afraid of men to stand up for the truth of God's word, did Jesus... Did he back down? Did the apostles back down? Oh, but this is different. This is the 21st century now. Okay, we can't do it the way Jesus did it. Really? No, things are different now. We're postmodern. It's a whole different culture. You've got to cater to every group now. That's how the secular world is operating. You could have 100 people. If one person doesn't like what's going on, you've got to change everything for the one person. That's not how it used to be. The one person would need to conform. And yet, we hear them yell and scream and holler about democracy. That's a joke. That's a joke. First of all, we're not a democracy. We're a democratic republic built upon the Roman form of government, which means we have elected representatives like we've talked about this morning who go to the Congress and go to the Senate and represent us, supposedly... A pure democracy, everybody votes on everything, but guess what? In that case, the majority rules. We don't have a real democracy here. In a real democracy, the one guy wouldn't be able to overrule the 99. But now they can. If one parent doesn't like the Pledge of Allegiance, well, we do away with it. If one parent doesn't like prayer in the classroom, we do away with it. You see? Do you see the fallacy? Do you see the hypocrisy? 
taking place today? Okay. I didn't anticipate being this fired up. Of course, I, I rarely do. It just happens. Give the guy an inch and it'll take a mile. You see, if we're too afraid of men to stand up for the truth of God's word, then no one will learn to fear him. This is something that's almost entirely missing in the church today, certainly in the secular world, but even in the church. We are to fear God. He's an awesome God. He's a God of fire. He's mighty. Amen. We're to fear him. But no one will learn to fear him if we're too afraid of men to stand up for the truth and the end result will be the destruction of all humanity. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the starting point. And it doesn't mean you're just simply afraid of him because you're afraid he's going to squash you like a bug. It means you respect him. How many people in today's world really respect God, do you think? It's our job to model that, to model that fear of the Lord, that respect, that awe, that humility. But if we totally neutralize his truth, then nobody's going to fear him. Nobody's going to respect him. He's going to be irrelevant. In today's world, we're under constant pressure to submit to this new normal. Oh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner turned Caitlyn. Boy, they gave him her woman of the year. Man, if that's the woman of the year, I'm going celibate. And there was this video where there's a reporter riding in the car with Caitlin, and the camera's on Caitlin, and they're talking, you know, and Caitlin says, this is the new normal. And that's what the world is shoving down our throats today, folks. And the world, who's the prince of this world? Satan. We're under constant pressure to submit to this new normal. And if we don't, we're labeled bigot, hater, homophobe, Christian terrorist. That's one of the latest terms. And even many of the so-called good guys are saying things like, well, to each his own, you know. What people do behind closed doors is their own business. It's not my place to judge. Boy, doesn't that all sound so good on paper? Oh, you're such, a, you're such an open-minded individual. Not critical, not judgmental. You're so wonderful. But what message are you sending people when you say stuff like that? What are you telling our children? That it's okay? Oh, hey, whatever floats your boat, man, far be it from me to judge. Right, but God's already judged. And he sets the rules. It's like the car manufacturer tells you what kind of oil, what kind of transmission fluid, all the vital fluids and so forth in the car and the system. And you can follow those directions and probably do pretty well. Or you can say, forget them. I don't care what they say. I think I can put molasses in there instead of oil. and I think it'll actually work better. It's not going to work. Your car's not going to run very long on molasses. So you can do it your way if you like. Better to follow the manufacturer's instructions, wouldn't you say? Oh, to each his own. 
obviously God, clearly God thinks differently. And more and more people, including Christians, are caving in to the massive pressure to be, I'm using quotes, loving, accepting, understanding, compassionate, supportive. And if we don't, it could very well result in loss of relationships, livelihood, and ultimately loss of freedom, incarceration. And in some places that's already happened for those who have spoken out, have spoken. Real love speaks the truth, folks. Fake love lies. There's plenty of that to go around. Fake love tells you what you want to hear. Fake love doesn't rock the boat. Real love speaks the truth. I've used the analogy many times. If you go to the doctor and you've got some kind of invasive disease, cancer, what have you, and he tells you, oh, it's just a cold, go home and take some NyQuil. Is he loving you? Is he helping you? Now, you might feel better. Oh, man, I thought I was going to die. It's just a cold. Praise God. Two weeks later, you're dead. Real love speaks the truth. Should I lie to you and tell you that it's okay to do these things because I don't want to offend you and I want you to like me and I want you to accept Christ on your own terms? I don't think so. But that's the way it's going today. Actually, we don't have time to get into the part that I was really going to cover this morning. Well, I was going to cover this, but I didn't intend for it to take this long. But I really felt God wanted me to talk about this, not because I'm trying to hammer on a particular group of people. I mean, it's pretty all-encompassing at this point. Because the majority of the people in our world today, and especially in America, are either involved in these things, or supporting these things, or at the very least are unwilling to talk about it. And I think that's wrong. I think it's absolute. In fact, when you talk about the fact that one of the largest warning signs in the Bible regarding the last days, as it was in the days of Lot, rampant, militant homosexuality, lesbianism, how many people in our world today, in our society, do you believe have really been helped by being encouraged to engage in that lifestyle. The suicide rate is higher than among any other group. Oh, it's because they're persecuted. Really? I, everywhere I turn, they're being supported and encouraged. In the newspapers, in the movies, in the TV, in certain segments of the political world. I'd say if anybody's being persecuted, it's the Christians. It's the people standing for godly, biblical, moral values. That's the group that's being persecuted. Oh, the suicide rate is so high because they're being persecuted. I don't believe that. It's because they're miserable, folks. They're not happy because they've been deceived and led to believe that they can find something that's missing in their lives by going down this road. The only thing that can fill that place is Jesus Christ. The greatest explanation I can give for why I decided to talk about this today is I believe God wanted me to. Because every one of us 
are in danger of being beaten into submission by this massive onslaught. And again, it's not just coming from the world. It's coming from well-known pastors, teachers in the church. We're talking about false teachers. Andy Stanley, the son of the great Charles Stanley, has gone down this road. The leader of the Hillsong movement has gone down this road. It goes on and on and on that they're telling us we've got to change the way we think. The only thing that's going to change the way I think is the Bible. I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind through the truth of God's Word, not the words of men, not the philosophies of men. And I don't care if they wrap it in Christian terms. If it's not in the Scriptures, I'm not buying it. Let's stand. A few years ago, I had likened our church unto boot camp. You know? Training, military training, combat training. And then I had a guy decide to leave the church, and he says, you know, you're absolutely right. The problem is this is the Marine Corps, and I want to be in the Air Force. <laughs> so be it. The few, the proud, the Marines, those who stand for the truth, not proud of ourselves, but proud of him. So maybe next week, we'll get on with this topic that I, I tickled your ears with last time, the idea that the fallen angels and the demons are two different groups, that the demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. We're going to explore that next time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, if we turn that light off, it's at our own peril. Lord, you've called us to, to travel on a narrow path. You've told us that the pathway to eternal glory in God's kingdom is, an, is a narrow path. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Lord, few there are that find that narrow path. Thank you for making your narrow path known to us and for helping us to stay on it. Lord, like the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Help us to keep our hand to the plow and our eyes on you. Lord, to lovingly present your truth to this unbelieving world. Lord, we can love them without compromising. Teach us how to do that. And help us to stand firm. Not wavering, not backing down, not compromising, not giving in. Because in doing so, we are jeopardizing the lives of the young people, our children, our grandchildren. Lord, it's not enough to just know where we stand. We have to make it known to everyone around us so that the blood of no man would be on our hands. Just like Paul told the Ephesian elders. Paul was confident and comfortable that he had not failed to bring to them the whole counsel of God that the blood of no man would be on his hands. May we be able to say the same thing. And Lord, as we close this morning, we pray for anyone who might need ministry of any kind, that you would draw them by your spirit, that you would prepare their hearts, and that you would just anoint our prayer team members to minister to those desiring ministry. Lord, just close us out this morning with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.